0: welsh utopian in 1817 who came up with eight hours work eight hours leisure um and eight hours uh, sleep and and that was it It it's as random as that
1: so so it's not like
0: it was predetermined by some people like yes this is exactly how we should be working so you know we can make new rules up
1: welcome to 20 minute leaders just sit back relax and learn from the leaders of today it's a journey each one is different unique inspiring let's get started this episode is powered by J-Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with FlowMeTech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, UpWest Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Leaders. We're gonna be talking to a really interesting leader today, Sophie Wade, the founder of FlexCell Network, LLC. Sophie is a work futurist, international keynote speaker, author, and authority on fortune of work issues. She is the host of the widely popular Transforming Work podcast, and over 450,000 learners have taken her four LinkedIn courses, which cover empathy, future of work skills, and Generation Z. Sophie is the founder and workforce innovation specialist at Flexel Network, a future of work consultancy. Sophie's executive advisory work and transformative workshops help companies adapt and update their work environments and attract, engage, and retain their multi-generational and distributed talent. She helps corporations maximize the benefits and minimize the disruption in their transition to talent-focused, digitalized work environments. This idea of workforce innovation, you know, as a concept, is this, you know, we we have we've been having Different, uh, different types of work for, for some, for a small number of years, some for thousands of years. Where are we in the timeline of how long have we been dealing with the question of you know, workforce innovation and how do people work in the world?
0: Uh, I love the question, uh, that's a new one. So what I would say is there is no set way of working and I have lived and worked in five different countries. So I am very uh, aware that there isn't a sort of set way of working and people, different countries have very different approaches and attitudes and and to, to work and work culture. And that has a huge impact on what the possibilities that they see for the future and how they're adapting to the new sort of work frame. So I think, you know, we have like the eight, the, 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 the 40 hour work week is something that came up. It was a, a Welsh utopian in 1817 who came up with eight hours work, eight hours leisure, Um, and eight hours of sleep. And and that was it. It It's as random as that.
1: So so it's not like
0: it was predetermined by some people like, yes, this is exactly how we should be working. So, you know, we can make new rules up and people do in all kinds of situations. So it has always been evolving and it's been evolving based on the technology that we have of the day, whether it's the, you know, working in huge, um, you know, factory lines, then we get you know more personalized uh you know more uh, sort of more mobile ways of working and obviously are uh, the way we adapt to those new technologies that are giving
1: us more options but it's really controversial right I mean anybody who tries to challenge the notion of the eight hour work day or or any any shift in the balance that that we're used to all of a sudden it feels as if you're you're challenging the whole paradigm of what it means to be human. Mm. I mean, it's really a daunting task. Why is, it, why is it so dramatic changing, you know, within a company, the thought process of how do we actually need to balance on what are the company's needs? Not every company needs eight hours a day in terms of effectiveness, right?
0: Absolutely. The I think, you know, we are human beings. We're creatures of habit. We're comfortable that way. And so changing something which has worked for a long time or appears to have worked, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the very nature of work has changed. It is less predictable. It is less linear and static. So we are actually needing to adapt how we're working, period. Um, but it did sort of it, it was something that we got into the routine of and it worked for the for the what we know, the data that we knew at the time. We also, you know, think that thought that if we paid people that would be enough. We now understand that that it's not enough, that they just go right. through the motions, they didn't necessarily engage. And now work is much more complicated. We're dealing with much more complicated issues, we're having to work in teams much more. You know, it has raised the bar in terms of how we need to engage. So that's when we also need to. Change how we're sort of thinking about work in order to deal with the the the, the construct and the and the issues and the problems of today. So mm-hmm. you know, I think the controversy is really about um, changing habits, and that's where I see the pandemic has actually been sort of useful in, in in being so disruptive that we can we're now sort of out of our routines and and really which has di- dislodged us from the. the routines that were actually really we were straining against for a long time because the future of work has been coming the new ways of working um and the new ways of doing business and operating with more flexibility mm-hmm. um have been adapting over the last couple of decades at least and so uh, you know that sort of helped us think differently about how we need to approach work
1: right and and this idea of where you know, the, the, where, where are the priorities also for this even thought process, right? So we're running through these thought experiments. Where And, and we need to have, you know, at the end, a central figure that we're trying to optimize for. And, and I think that's, it's also a pretty controversial question. Are we optimizing for company value? Or are we optimizing for, um, you know, a, a problem that we're trying to solve as, as, a, as a large group? Or are we solving for the human? So where are we in this, in this space?
0: For the business and the human, not not for a central figure that we can, you know, there is no, uh, you know, all one size fits all, you know, we need yep. to dispel that idea. We don't, we have gone down to opt- trying to optimize for the customer, the individual customer, somebody we can recognize on the street, and we need to have the same mindset. So for me, it's that the priority is the mindset, which is open-minded, inclusive. It's really trying to recognize each person as an individual. Because if we're going to try and, to try and attract and convert and um, and, you know, take care of a customer who is in, an individual person, we need to do that for the same thing for the employee. We can't, you know, it's, these days we cannot have very different approaches for external and internal relationships and treatment. So that that becomes more, prob- more challenging
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: in terms of trying to adapt for each person individually. But it is certainly possible, people have been, you know, do recognize that, you know, you know, Mark is really, you know, asleep at nine o'clock in the morning. So let's just, you know, delay the the Monday morning meeting a little bit later so he can actually bring his, you know, bring his intelligence and all that he has to work, because otherwise we're just not going to get as much out of him. That serves the, that serves the business and it serves him too. So there are many different ways that we have adapting. This is just taking that another step further, because as I say, the, the, what the needs of the business are—it's more demanding. Our customers are changing their behaviors based on the pandemic, based on the the, the changing needs of of you know as we're in, integrating more technologies, it's changing how our customers are reacting. You know, our, our competitors integrate you know different technologies that changes our customer behaviors, and we're needing to make upgrades. Our, our customers are are telling us what what they like, what they don't like <laughs> more than we necessarily want, and we're having to 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 adapt, and that means that we need to be responsive. Um, and we need to give our employees the flexibility to be responsive too.
1: And, and how does empathy tie into all of this?
0: Empathy, in the way I look at it, is just about human understanding. It's if, I, if I'm going to work effectively with you, I need to understand more about you. I need to, you know, the, the the I mean, I can see you and I can sort of like, okay, is that face, is that concentrating? Is that being distracted? He's got some, you know, t- you know, video on the side that he's actually looking at, which is amusing him. I don't know, but I need, the more I understand you, the more I can find out about you, the more I can better manage you or you can better manage me right. when we understand each other. So empathy is really, it's trying to understand who you are, how you see the world, and then connect with your experience. And then I can manage you better or we can work together better as a team.
1: So if we're actually looking at, you know, the workplace and team management and, you know, whether it's mid-level management, top-level management, or just colleagues, what, what are mm-hmm. different things that we might that are not so trivial when it comes to working with empathy in the workplace?
0: When you're getting started, I mean, we all have a lot of empathy in our personal lives. Uh, you know, when we're dealing with our parents, when we're dealing with our kids, when we're dealing with our friends, we, you know, we, we use it a lot. We just haven't in the workplace. So when we're thinking about bringing that empathy in, it's really about paying a lot more attention. And to begin with, it will take time. It will feel a little bit contrived. It will take more effort. But when we do it and we actually make empathy habits, and so in my book, it's really about establishing new empathy habits, then it just becomes how you're working. It's listening more. It's kind of like, do I understand what he's actually saying is Michael? Do I really understand that? And then restating it. So what I understand is what I understand what you said, and that both validates what you've said, shows that I'm interested in understanding. I don't have to agree with it, but I'm trying to understand and I'm showing I'm trying to understand your perspective. So there are lots of little things. So it's about having, you know, more sort of deeper and more thoughtful relationships. And that also, it doesn't mean we have to be super friends, but we, when, when I understand you better, we're going to have also have lot less conflict because we have better, we have more willingness to try and get to the same page or try and sort of understand the information that's informing your opinion versus mine. So it does take you know, some more efforts, more intentiveness, you know, trying to read the features, the body language, um, and, and you know, stepping back from our judgments. Judgments, when we're, particularly when we're work, working at the pace we are these days, stepping back, kind of going, okay, I'm assuming, my assumption about what he meant was this. But did he really? Because if I, if I send off a sort of snippy email because I misinterpret you, then we, you know, like we're just wasting a whole bunch of time and energy and bad bad blood until we can sort of work it out oh, he didn't actually mean that. Okay, fine. So it's really just taking, you know, to begin with taking a few more steps, being a bit more thoughtful um, and uh, and also we do actually need to understand ourselves more before we can understand others. and that that can take a little bit more time, I agree.
1: You said something interesting that I, that I want to dive, dig a little bit deeper. Sure. It was, you were talking about how, you know, we have empathy. It seems that we have empathy in our daily lives. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're coming to work and we sometimes forget to, to employ those same habits mm. in the workplace. And I'm trying to think why. I'm trying to think why did we naturally make this distinction that, you know, when we're at work, then we're a certain way and then we come home. Is it, you know, is it because that there's different incentives Within yes, and work that, that some are perhaps contrary to empathic behavior, like getting ahead, and maybe uh, there is limited resources, and whoever <laughs> you know is the the strongest survives. I mean, what what is it about the workplace that lends itself to create conflicts for humans to be more empathetic to each other?
0: So, uh, so first of all, I would say that when you introduce money into the situation, it changes it. Uh, so one of the most impactful. Leadership roles I had was leading a nonprofit organization. Um, I was the president of the, n- the New York chapter of the National Association of Women, Biz- Women Business Owners. And when you're trying to motivate and manage and lead people without there being any money, you have to do it on a very, very different basis. You know, you're connecting people with purpose, you're trying to create the kind of culture, um, you're trying to sort of understand people's individual motivations and trying to sort of tap into those so you're doing all those type of things which are really trying to understand who that person is and so that's a, a very beneficial so i think money changes that money changes or certainly was the believed to be the sufi- sufficient incentive and we now have you know reams of data that prove that that's not the case and and aligning people with their skills and strengths and and motivating people different ways and you know connecting people with purpose those are all things that we now know help people um, sort of work, you know, more effectively, but also align people and help people, um, you know, create an an atmosphere and an environment which isn't as transactional because it's motivated um, very differently. I think the the other thing that there is some research on, which is as you rise as a leader, there is a, a balance about how easy it is to be empathetic. Um, I think partly because of, you know, the role that you're in, you're trying to get things done. I, I do think this is this is still part of the way that we have been working, the cultures that we've been working or not paying attention to developing the kind of cultures and trust-based relationships that allow people to lead in a very different way, which is more about empathy than ego. Um, and when we can do that, we can lead in a very different way, which doesn't have to mean that leaders, uh, you know, leaders can be, connecting with people and and sort of helping them you know do their do their best work. Um, and that's my job as a leader now is to help you do your best work, not be telling you what to do and thinking that I have all the answers.
1: And do we have proof that this is actually beneficial, not just for the human, which obviously it is because it, it means that we enjoy work more, we feel more fulfilled, we come back home and it's this, this cycle that we that, that we're in. But do we know that this is actually also beneficial for businesses? Is there an incentive? from a business point of view to work on something that is less tangible and less, uh, qu- less qualitative-like empathy?
0: It is hard to measure empathy directly. However, if you're looking at, if you sort of look at engagement and you sort of think about, if I understand you better, um, I can help you, you know, align you with your work and help you get engaged in your work Um, There are certainly data from Gallup, for example, in terms of the increased profits, the increased revenues that one finds that when you have helped engage employees, whether it's aligning with their skills and, you know, helping them connect with the purpose and, and, and really be sort of understanding what their contributions are on a daily basis. And so in all of these areas, you can find that you know, empathy is really about how I'm going to do that. How as a manager I'm going to help you connect with your work and and also tap into like if there's if there's something going on. If I sort of realize, I recognize that you're sort of a bit off. I either by your phone, you know, voice tone, or or you you know, you weren't as fast to get back to me. You know, something's going on. Empathy is going to help me recognize: is there is there something going on at work? Is it a problem with a project, or is it you know a family situation? Just those little things are going to help you know uh, uh, any situation not be prolonged we can address it quickly and then you can sort of get back you know on the job and be doing your best work again obviously that's going to to uh, have better you know, lead to better outcomes because you we we're able to to solve any problem or deal deal with an issue you know early on and before things get off track
1: right okay so so looking tangibly i'm you know in my day to day what are things that i can leave here and effectively do that. I may not be doing now. That that will, you know, make help me become more empathetic to others around me, whether it's colleagues or managers or or people that are working above or below me. What 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 are some actual things I can do?
0: Okay, great. So so as I said, the, the, my, my book has lots of empathy habits in. There are, are a number of them. Whether you are in sales or in t- or or a leader or or in teams, a couple of the things I would say is uh, starting. Uh, meetings with a small period, which is just about sort of connecting relationship-wise particularly important if you're, uh, you know, you're connecting re- uh, remotely because you're really having to reestablish that, you know, we know each other so we can actually have the basis of a productive conversation. Kind And then, and then talking about some of the things that, that you, you do have sort of common ground and you share particular interests because that sort of establishes, oh, you know, yes, my Michael kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, Sophie, I know her. And so that's one thing that actually is important, both for building the relationship, making sure that we're connecting and then, particularly if there's a difficult issue that we have to deal with, that I'm showing you, particularly at the be- at the beginning, I'm showing you some areas where we are on the same page in terms of you know, this particular area or topic, so that so that we can start on the on, on the sort of with a positive outlook, and then we can just you know have a better understanding of how we're going to ex- explore some of the more challenging areas of that particular subject. There are also ways during meetings where you can be listening. um, You can be listening. You can be showing that you're listening. You can restate, um, you know, what the person has said. That also gives the person a chance to kind of go, "Well, is that exactly what I meant?" Or she hasn't necessarily understood what I said. Let me just try and say it differently. And so when that actually sort of helps, give more details, gives more understanding, more clarity, and it also shows that you you recognise that I'm trying to understand you. In follow-up to a meeting, you know, you know, having a conclusion so they're all agreed, we all know, and it's very, very clear, just having a lot more clarity about what's going on is being empathetic, because it means that we both know exactly what the meeting was about, how we concluded, what the next steps are, and we go forward. I'd also say being empathetic is, I have a huge peeve about meetings. We need to be more effective with our meetings. We need to be, you know, judicious about whether we need to have a meeting or not, not waste people's time just talking to organization, they record every single meeting and they're, they, they record it and they put notes as well. That means, and those, those recordings are um, searchable by keyword search. Which means I don't have to include you, and you don't have to feel excluded if I don't, because you know that you can get on with with you can choose to be in the meeting or not. You can get on with your work, and then afterwards you can like search it, see if there was anything that was relevant for you, quickly have a look at it, and be productive. Like that's being empathetic, because I am being I am being I'm valuing your time and recognizing your 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 time is precious, and you have a lot of other things to do. So um, I think there are th- th- those are some key. They're just like a lot of things about being thoughtful about the other person and what they're going through. And How they're actually achieving their business outcomes, and you know, and then we're we're working working together, being you know, being responsive to each other, and sort of really, really watching and listening and learning and asking more questions.
1: And what I what I particularly enjoy uh, that I'll also take with me is this idea of clarity as being more empathetic. You know, being clear, which is not it's not an intuitively uh, you know right association with with empathy. Mm. This idea that Mm. if if we're managed to to create an objective clear conclusion as to what happened here and we can agree on the situation we agree on the outcome and we agree on what was decided that in effect is being empathetic and 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 obviously you know the, the, the other things were also fascinating just like and something that i firmly believe in this idea of being very judicious with the meetings and which meetings were we actually need and which ones we don't time is the most important resource but but this idea of, of reaching a clear conclusion that we agree on, av- avoiding the pitfalls of later on mm. misinterpretations mm. and 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 such. It's it's fascinating. And and Sophia, I really want to thank you for for your time and for your uh, effort in these twenty minutes. It's it's fascinating. And and you know, I think this is it's such an interesting question. And you know, I started the conversation with asking, you know, where where is work innovation today, and and how long has it been? And honestly, I don't remember too many people talking about this even 10 years ago, right? I mean, and it, uh-huh. it feels like yeah. uh-huh. this is such a yeah. new concept that we're even challenging this notion of how are we working? Are we working the right way? Are we communicating the right way?
0: We've never, I don't think we've ever really addressed the how. And now now everything's been thrown up in the air. Now we have so many more options. We actually need to be thoughtful and design how we work. And we actually don't even know how we, each one of us works best. We found out more over the last two years. So when we, ha- when we look at the how and we design it, we look at the workflow, and that's it all a lot to do with technology. If we don't do it carefully, we don't clarify these things, it's going to be even more messy than it needs to be. So I think, you know, ultimately we'll come out at a great place. We'll be able to, you know, focus on each other individually and sort of work to you know, do our best work. In the meantime, it's going, be a, uh, it's going to be
1: a little bit messy, but we're going to get Sophie, there. Sophie, thank you very, very much. Um, this was wonderful. Uh, and uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'm looking forward to checking out Empathy Words by myself. Thank you.